think there's times where we, we go through weeks like I went through last this last week. It was an emotional week, and I'm sure you've been there. Highs and lows that take place in life on Monday. Uh, my family and I celebrated late uh, Udonna's birthday, and so that was a, we went out, and that was a fun time. And Tuesday came, and uh, I heard uh, that uh, a professor of mine, a college pr- past college president of Summit Christian College, passed away, Dr. Gerald Perriott. And uh, he, it was a shock because he, he was very active, uh, rode 10 miles on his bike, maybe not every day, but occasionally at 90 years old. Him and his wife have been married 68 years and just a godly man, uh, a great example of what it means to be uh, a man of integrity. Both him and his wife were examples to, to me and my wife. And, and so that was a hit. I was sad to hear that news. But then Tuesday afternoon, uh, there was an immersion, there's a baptism uh, of Carter Webb into Christ, and uh, we're going to show that video a little bit later, but that was exciting, and so it was kind of highs and lows and back to highs Wednesday night. Uh, we had a family night, and again, if you are confused about how that works, you just come, okay? <laughs> Six o'clock, you come, and we provide food for you. You don't have to bring your own food, and uh, you just come and eat and then enjoy the fellowship and time uh, in God's word at 7 to 8. And so we had a great turnout Wednesday night. And then Thursday I get a call. And they asked, uh, the family of Dr. Perry had asked if I would have a part in sharing in his service. Uh, and that was Thursday. And they said the service was going to be on Saturday. And so, again, just a lot of emotions taking place uh, this past week. Friday came. And we had an amazing uh, golf-a-thon, mini golf-a-thon for our Christian school. $10,000 was raised for our Christian school. Let's give God a round of applause for that. Appreciate all the effort uh, that went into that, all the planning and organization. And appreciate Justin as our new principal just making a lot of efforts in a lot of different uh, areas. And so uh, a great uh, Friday afternoon and a great Friday evening. We celebrated a wedding on Friday evening and just had a, a fun time of fellowship and enjoy that time late into the evening Friday and got up early Saturday morning. And again, Saturday yesterday was just full of a lot of emotions when it came to the, the service and traveling to Scotts Bluff and back. And, and so you've all had weeks like that. You've all experienced those ups and downs and those highs and lows. And I just want to say God is there with you all along the way. Jesus is supreme in our lives. Amen. Amen. If we allow him to be. And so we're going to read from Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 23 this morning. The title of the message is the supremacy of Christ, which is also the title of the, the theme of the series that we're going through right now. And before we get into those verses A.W. Tozer wrote this. He says, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Let me say that again. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And you might be thinking this morning, well, no, that, that doesn't seem quite right. I mean, that seems a little extreme, doesn't it, Charles? What You might think, well, there are other things that are more important about yourselves besides just what you think about God. But think about it this way. If you believe that God is a mean dictator 
and that he's always ready to strike you down whenever you mess up. Do you think that affects how you live your life? Yeah, I would say it does. On the flip side, if you think that God is that really nice grandpa that no matter what you do, he will always have that piece of candy to give you. If that's how you look at God, do you think that's going to impact how you live your life? Well, sure it does. Our perception of who God is affects everything about who we are and how we live our lives. There are a lot of people today that have strong, sincere opinions about who Jesus is. Some believe that Jesus is just one day just going to save everyone. Everybody just gets to go to heaven, and no matter what kind of life you've lived here on this earth, and do you think that that belief makes a difference in a lot of people's lives and the way they live? Of course it does. Some believe that Jesus was just a good prophet, that he was a godly man, but that he was not God, and that affects the way that they live. Some believe that Jesus was a historical figure that died on the cross but didn't rise from the dead, guess what? That belief changes everything about Jesus in those people's lives. You see, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. If who we believe Jesus to be is the most important thing about who we are, then we better get it right. Amen? Will you pray with me? God, this morning, we are humbled to gather in your presence. Father, you are the reason that we have life. You are the reason that we have purpose and meaning in this life. And so, God, we are grateful again for your son and what he was willing to do for us on the cross. May we hear from you. May our ears be attentive. May we apply the under, the, the knowledge and the wisdom that we're receiving from your word, that we would truly understand it and live it out. It's the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. If you are willing and able this morning, will you stand with me as we turn to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish 
and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. You may be seated. And so as Paul sat down to write to the brothers and sisters in Colossae, he wanted them to be able to know that there is no other name above the name of Jesus. Paul wanted the believers to have the full knowledge of the glory and majesty of Jesus. He wanted them to know that Jesus was the creator, sustainer, and hope of all life throughout the universe. And so as we read these verses this morning, speaking of Jesus, it speaks about his supremacy. He is supreme. And as we look down through, there's a lot going on in these verses. And I just want to highlight three different things. And the first is this. Jesus is supreme over creation. Verses 15 through 17 again read, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And there is a lot to unpack in all of these verses this morning, so I just want to say, hold on to your hat, because here we go. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible who? Interaction here, who? The invisible God, okay? We're going to have a little interaction throughout the course of this today, all right? So he is the image of the invisible who? God, okay? God is spirit, and with our physical eyes, we are not able to see God. We see evidences of God in creation. Scripture tells us that. But we can't see God. And that all changed, though, when Jesus showed up on the scene. It says that Jesus is the image of God. Or if you want to use the German term, I don't know if you've heard the German ter term, doppelganger. I, when I first heard that, I was like, you guys are just making up words, right? And I was like, what does that mean, okay? And uh, come to find out in German, it means like double, okay? If you say, hey, I saw your doppelganger at Walmart, it means that I saw someone that looks exactly like you kind of thing. Well, Jesus is the image of God. John chapter 14, 8 through 9, Philip said, it says this, Philip said, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And Jesus is nothing less than God in the flesh. Nothing less. In verse 15, it says the, he's the firstborn over all creation. And sometimes people get confused and think that Jesus was then must mean that he was created. That is not what this term firstborn over all creation means. Firstborn has less to do with order and more to do with authority or importance. Okay, Not so much order, 
but has to do with authority and importance. And we see this even in the phrasing, if you drop down to verse 18, it says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. And you say, well, was Jesus the first to be raised from the dead? You're like, is that a trick question? I don't know what you mean there. Is he, was he the first one to be raised from the dead? Well, the answer is no. And we see that several examples in scriptures before Jesus showed up on the scene, people coming back to life. In fact, I read as I studied this out, 2 Kings chapter 13. I know I've read this verse before because I've read through the Bible multiple times. But I just don't even hardly remember these verses. But 2 Kings 13 verses 20 and 21. If you want to make a note of that, you can go back and look at it. But this is what it says. 2 Kings 13, 20 and 21. It says, Elisha died and was buried. Now Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. Now Moabite raiders, sorry. Once, while some Israelites were burying a man, so the guy was dead and they're burying him, suddenly... They saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, get this, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. I don't know if anybody remembers reading that, going through scripture, but that is pretty amazing. Just touched Elisha's bones and the guy came back to life. And all throughout scripture, we see evidences and examples of people coming back to life. There's several other accounts before Jesus, okay? And so this firstborn, again, has less to do with order and more to do with authority or importance. Even when it comes to families in Scripture, firstborn always referred to the son who was in charge. It didn't necessarily have to be the oldest. And so when he says that he is the firstborn over all creation, it means that God Almighty is leaving heaven, not a part of creation, but the one who is in charge of creation. I heard a preacher say it this way. Jesus is not God Jr. He's not junior varsity God. He's not wannabe God. He's not partially God. Jesus is fully God. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so when we read in verse 16, for by him all things were created. Interaction time here. How many, how many things did Jesus create? All. all. Hey, you guys are quick. Yes. All things. Meaning that Jesus is not part of creation because he was the one that created everything see jesus was not plan b he wasn't a, a later addition jesus from the very beginning was the one creating everything and as you look at the end of verse 16 we have to come to grips with the truth that because jesus is the creator of all things jesus has the right to all things you think about your kids and, and they make something and then if they make something that one of the siblings wants to play with, you say, no, they made that. They have first right to that. Jesus, as our creator, has the right to all things. He's it. It was 
him who created. It was created by him and for him, Scripture says. Verse 17 says that Jesus is holding everything together. And you say, well, okay, that's nice, but let's keep going. Well, just a minute. In an article from Los Angeles Daily News by the Associated Press in 2017, it says, in deep underground laboratories around the globe, a high-tech race is on to spot dark matter, the invisible cosmic glue believed to keep galaxies from spinning apart. Can I tell you guys a little secret this morning? It's Jesus that's holding everything together. Did you guys know that? It's Jesus. People are wondering, scientists wonder, like, why are the galaxies in the, all the different universe, it, it, why are they not just exploding and going every which direction? They can't figure out what's holding it all together. It should just be going everywhere. The Bible, weird. The Word of God tells us in verse 17 it's Jesus, in, in him, all things hold together. He's holding everything together until he returns. And scripture says that it's all going to burn up and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. See, Jesus is supreme over all creation. The second thing as you look at these verses, Jesus is supreme over his church. Jesus is supreme over his church. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body. The church. He is the beginning and the firstborn. From among the dead. So that in everything. He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased. To have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself. All things. Whether things on earth. Or things in heaven. By making peace. Through his blood shed on the cross. And you think this morning, well, yeah, I mean, if Jesus is supreme over all creation, the vast galaxies, the, the universe that was created by just him speaking it into existence, then, yeah, don't don't we think that we should the church should be Jesus should be supreme over it as well. And, and scripture says here that Jesus is the head of the body of the church. And that's kind of a big deal, okay? That's kind of important because without the head, nothing else functions, right? It's the head that points the body in the right direction. It's the head. And Jesus is the head of this local church. And Jesus is the head of the church around the world for all time. And guess what that means for you and I? That you and I are not the head of the church, all right? Did, did we catch that this morning? If Jesus is the head, that means you and I are not the head of the church. It's, it's not your church. It's not my church. It's not even our church. It's God's church. And, and I remember uh, for, I don't know, I think all my kids have said it at one point or another, but uh, doing youth ministry at the same church, uh, body, local church, going to the church building on a regular basis. My kids were involved a lot and always uh, there 
at different uh, activities and events, and, and uh, there would be many times uh, several of my kids would say to their friends, this is my dad's church, <laughs> or my dad owns this church. <laughs> I'm like, no, as the youth minister, I don't own the church, and, and as the lead pastor here at PV, I don't own the church, it's not my church, it's God's church. When we, as a church, submit to the supremacy of Jesus over the church, it's not, about how, it's not about how we think the things in the church should go. It's about what does God's word say about how the things in the church should go. And too many times, uh, too many of us base our experience with the church on how we feel. What we think, you know, we, we ask the question, of, well, what, what do I think of the preaching? You know, or, or what do I think of the music? How do I feel about those things? What, what do I think about the person down the row? And what, what I think about them? We base our, our experience with the church on our feelings or what we like or dislike. And we fall into the trap of thinking the church is about us and what we want or what we like. See, you and I are not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church, and it's about what he wants from us. As we look at verse 19, it says, how, it says, in just a minute, I'm going to ask for a little interaction again, how much of the fullness of God dwelled in Jesus? All, yeah, all of the fullness of God dwelled in Jesus. And why is that so important? Well, because if Jesus isn't fully God, then the rest of the verses, it doesn't really happen. They don't take place. The rest of the verse says that it is through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross that how many things might be reconciled to him? All. All, all things. This word all keeps showing up. All things might be reconciled to him. God is offering reconciliation being brought back into a relationship with God. Sometimes we use Christianese kind of terms like reconciliation. Like, what does that mean? It just means that our relationship with God has been severed because of sin in our lives. And if we're separated from God, the only way to be reconciled back to God is through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. And not only just for you, but for all, all who are willing to receive that gift of grace and forgiveness. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus has the supremacy in the church to bring peace through his blood shed on the cross. Do you see that at the end of verse 20? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You can live this life in peace. Can you imagine that, what that would look like on an everyday basis? For some of you, you're experiencing that. For some of us, even longtime Christians, it's easy to get caught up in all the things of this world, and we're on edge, we're worried about this and that, and, and yet God says, hey, you trust in my son Jesus, you let him be supreme in your life, you can have peace. You don't have to worry. You don't have to get worked up. You can have peace in him. Jesus is supreme over the church, and he should be supreme over you and I 
individually as well. And that's the third thing as we read verses 21 through 23. It says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm not moved from the hope held out in the gospel this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which i paul have become a servant when it comes to you and i and thinking about creation in the church and in our minds like well of course yeah i mean we should individually come under the supremacy of christ because if if all creation is under the supremacy of Christ, then we should as well. And yet there's a difference, isn't there, between creation and us? We have what God calls free will. When it comes to creation, when God spoke it into existence and said, Jupiter, you go here, Saturn, you go here, Earth, you're going to be about right here, Sun, you're going to go there, and it's all going to work perfectly. Jesus is going to hold it all together, and it's going to be amazing. There's going to be life. There's going to be galaxies beyond our understanding. There's going to be light years away, stars, and, and all of this, everything that God spoke into existence, guess what creation did? It did it. It, it went where God spoke it. However, when it comes to us, I think all too often we, as human beings, we, we do like my two-year-old daughter Berkeley does. When I'm holding her and I want her to stop doing something, she, with her cute little eyes, looks directly into my eyes, her daddy's eyes, and she says, no. <laughs> and how many times has Charles Gwen looked into God's eyes and said, no, I want to do it my way. God, I, I want to I do what I want to do. And, and I think verse 21 puts it this way. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. And I don't know about you, but that describes me to a T at times, especially pre-Jesus, where I am alienated from God. And maybe some of you this morning came into services with a lot of baggage. Maybe there's some sin in your life. Maybe there's been someone that's hurt you. Maybe you're going through a tough financial time or parenting is difficult. Maybe you've recently moved to Wyoming and you wonder where in the world did all this wind come from? Whatever you might be dealing with, this morning, you might feel like you're in this category of, of being alienated from God, that you are an enemy in your mind because of your evil behavior. And I just want to say, guess what? That's not where God wants you to stay. You don't have to stay in that sin, being a slave to sin. You don't have to allow for that to control your life. If you want to be brought back into a relationship with God, it's through allowing Jesus to be supreme over every aspect of your life. And it starts with what verse 22 and 23 says again, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. 
without blemish, and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. If you want to be seen as holy, which is, means to be set apart for, for God, set apart for God to be holy or without blemish. And what comes to my mind, of course, is being a teenager and, and having acne. And man, that's frustrating. And wouldn't it just be awesome not to have those blemishes? And then it says, and be free from accusation before God. And you think about this idea of being accused of something. We, Satan is the great accuser. He lies, he accuses, he, he false witnesses. And we live in a world where that runs rampant in our culture. If somebody else wants to get ahead, they just accuse us of something. Wouldn't it be awesome to be able to stand for the, before the God of creation? And no one can accuse us of anything. Not because of what I've done. I've messed up a ton. But because of what Jesus has done in my life. It says that I stand before God in the sight of him, holy, without blemish, free from accusation. But it requires me to daily make a choice to surrender myself to God, to allow Jesus to be supreme in my life. To allow him to have supreme authority in my life. And as my two-year-old birthed me right now, I have to, you know, work with her when she says no. Or no, you don't say no to daddy, okay? All right. All my kids, I've, I've had to work with them and I say, who's the boss? You know, usually around age two, I, I work with them on that. Who's the boss? But why aren't you doing what I ask you to do? Okay? And, and I think it's so true when it comes to our relationship with God. They're like, yes, God, you are the Lord of my life. You are my God. You are my boss. And then I go and do whatever I want. That's not how it's supposed to work. That's not what God wants from us. That's not living the life that scripture teaches. You see, Jesus is the boss. Jesus is supreme over creation the church, and he should be supreme over you and your daily choices, how you choose to live. You must be willing to remain firm in your faith and the hope that, is, that we have through the good news of Jesus. It's that gospel message. It's Jesus being Lord of our lives. And so I wonder this morning, is Jesus supreme over your life? Meaning, I looked up synonyms. Meaning, highest? Is he the best? Is he ultimate? Is he superlative? Is he utmost? Is he, is he absolute? Is he number one in your life? And I wonder, as you look at Paul at the end of this, these verses this morning, are you willing to stand as Paul stood 
for the gospel of Christ. As the praise team comes, I want to close with a story that is evidence of someone standing firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. A young college freshman at Morehouse University walked into his first day of class and he settled in for the instruction. The professor of philosophy passed out a syllabus and explained what would be expected of the students during the course of the semester. The young student grew more and more excited as he listened to all the great thinkers they would be studying throughout the upcoming months. And suddenly the professor changed tones and began to speak about one of the thinkers in a different manner. He said, when we come to the section we will cover on the subject of Jesus, you must know this. What you may have heard in Sunday school or at your church concerning Jesus is wrong. Jesus was a great teacher. He was a wise man. He did many good things. He influenced many people during his day and even unto this day. But he was not the son of God. There was a long pause as the freshman sat attentively, not daring to challenge the man with the letters P-H-D following his name. The atmosphere was so uneasy that it seemed like hours had passed with the silence so thick that you could cut it with a knife. And then a hand pierced the silence in the back of the room as one young man lifted his hand to speak. The professor called on the young student, and he said, Yes, he is. The professor said, Now, I know you've probably been told other things back home from your pastor, Sunday school teacher, but you need to know, young man, that Jesus was not the Son of God. He was merely a great thinker. Class dismissed. And as the students filed out of class, one of the young man's friends from back home chastised him on the way out of class. Alvin, what are you doing? This man is the professor, and you and I are just students. Don't ruin this class for the rest of us. Just shut up and do your work. Alvin said, this man may know a lot about philosophy, but I can tell already that he doesn't know anything about Jesus. I can't just sit back in class and let him try and convince everyone in class that Jesus was something less than he really is. I'm going to speak up. The next time the class met, the professor started in on his tirade all over again. He pointed out that the Bible was written by biased folks who believed in Jesus. That there were other people in history that were reported to have been born of a virgin and and that Jesus could not have risen from the grave. Then he said, Jesus was not the Son of God. Alvin's hand immediately shot up into the air once again, and the professor tried to ignore him, and and he continued on with his anti-Jesus sermon, but Alvin persisted. And finally, the professor realized that he would not go away, and so he called on Alvin, The professor said in a demeaning way, Yes, Mr. Jackson, do you have another sermon for us this morning? Alvin said, Yes, he is. The 
professor turned his attack from Jesus to Alvin. But Alvin continued throughout the entire semester to stand up for Jesus. And then, some years later, Alvin Jackson, the pastor of Mississippi Boulevard Christian Church in Memphis, Tennessee, was speaking at the General Assembly of the Christian Church. At the conclusion of Alvin's sermon, some of the people came up to speak to him and let him know what a powerful sermon he had preached. When the crowd had dispersed, there was one man who stood before Alvin, his old college professor. The man walked up to Alvin, hugged him, looked him in the eyes, and said, Yes, he is. Yes, he is. I've come here this morning just to let you know that you were right. Yes, he is. He is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. He is the lily of the valley. He is the bright and morning star. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the prince of peace. He is God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. And when we are willing to stand up for the truth of who Jesus is in our lives, it makes all the difference in the world. It will have an impact on the people around you, even if you don't see it in the moment. And so you have a decision to make this morning. Will Jesus be supreme over your life or won't he? There are only two options for every single person throughout all creation. Either you make Jesus supreme over your life and allow him to pay for your sins. Or you will pay for your sins yourself in hell for eternity. If you need to make Jesus supreme over your life this morning, we would invite you to come to be baptized into Christ, to receive the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. If that's a decision you need to make this morning, we'd invite you to come as we sing. Will you stand with us?